Notice in verse 15 in our text this morning, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived they were about to come and take him by force, to make him king, that he departed again to the mountain by himself. Isn't it true that man will always crown another man king who, they can, who can satisfy their needs? Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. King was a political title. The crowd was willing to support Jesus because they wanted to use him to throw off Rome oppression, either directly in Judea or indirectly through Herod Antipas in Galilee. Jesus wasn't impressed or seduced by the crowd that wanted to make him king. He turned his back on the crowd and went to pray because Jesus was more interested in being with his Father in heaven than in hearing the applause of the crowd. We, too, should keep looking up. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Let's open our Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 6. It's a fairly lengthy chapter, and we've been uh, going through it. I'm hoping to spend at least another week uh, in this chapter. The week before last, we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000, and actually there were more than 5,000. We know that the Bible tells us in the other Gospels that it was 5,000 men, but that doesn't include the women and children. And so we're looking at least somewhere between ten and 15,000, maybe even upward toward 20,000 people that Jesus actually fed that day. And how God can take just very little, and he can multiply it and, and do great things with very little. He doesn't need a lot. You know, in America, the, the motto is might makes right, but in God's economy, that's not true. Oftentimes, you know, God uses the, the small things, the beggarly elements, the, the things that nobody wants, the cast-offs. Do you feel like a cast-off? Well, if you do, God can use you. If you feel like you're really something and that you're hot stuff, you might, be, you might, be, you might find yourself being put on a shelf for a little while. Isn't that what God did to, to uh, Moses? He thought he was a big shot. Spent 40 years in, in Egypt. The son of Pharaoh. Going to all the best schools. The, all the Ivy League schools. He had everything. And God had to take him out into the desert. In the far side of the desert. To tend his father Jethro's flock for another 40 years. To get the Egypt out of Moses. God doesn't need fancy. He doesn't need big. He likes to take small things. And that's why I feel like 
I can qualify because I, I don't, I'm a small thing and God can use small things. And I pray that you feel the same way too. It's a good place to be. The world around us says, oh, you're, you poor thing, you're suffering from low self-esteem. Well, that's the problem with America. That's the problem with humankind, actually, is we think about ourselves at all. We think too much of ourselves, how we look. We think our whole life is absorbed. Everything, our culture, our economy is based on us. What about me? I deserve this. I should look like that. But God doesn't see things that way. And he can use very little and do great things with it. And that was really what we looked at the year, or the, the year before last, the week before last. <clears throat> but now we look at this moment in Jesus' life. And let me read it to you. We're going to begin in chapter 6, beginning in verse 15 down through 21. I think that's all we'll look at this morning. But notice, on the heels of this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 or the 10,000 or the 15,000, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. And then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Father, we just thank you for this word today. Pray that you'd encourage us in it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This passage was a real blessing, has been a real blessing to me, and, and especially this week because our, our campsite, in the Adirondacks was right on a peninsula overlooking Lake Sacandaga. And, and literally, from where I was sitting in my hammock, oftentimes, preparing for this morning's service, looking out over this lake. And it, the shape of it, at least from my vantage point, was very much like what I've seen on the Sea of Galilee. And just sitting there and thinking over this passage and just uh, mulling it over was really a great treat. And you know, I'll be honest with you, there were times where I was tempted to just walk out there and just see what would happen. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not kidding. And then the Lord had to kind of remind me that there was a reason that he did that. And there was a reason that he allowed Peter to come out onto the water. To reveal his deity, certainly. But there was no need for the Lord to allow me to walk on water. It would just be, it wouldn't be really necessary but I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to step out in faith and do it. And, and I have this, these two sores on my feet on both sides, and I'd be walking out on a very rocky area. And I decided, you know, I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> I know that God could do it if he wanted to, but there's reasons for everything he does. And um, we know that. But this passage that we're looking at is the fifth sign of the seven signs that we have here that have been cherry-picked by the Holy Spirit through the, the, the Apostle John 
to reveal to us who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? We looked at the first one, the changing of the water into wine, the healing of the official son in Capernaum, healing an invalid at the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000, which we looked at the week before last, and now walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. And so we see this, and in this passage this morning, we're going to be looking at three different things that From this passage, the first one is the obvious, the very notable miracle of Jesus defying science. Follow the science. Well, you you defy science if you walk out on a body of water, wouldn't you? Aren't there many who would say that's not possible? Must have been a shallow water. Must have been a really shallow lake for Jesus to... No, it was pretty deep. It still is, by the way. But no, the notable miracle, we're going to talk about that. And equally notable is Peter walking out on the water. We'll look at that. He's the only person in history other than Jesus to walk on water. And yet Peter was the one. Because of his impetuous character, he he has gotten a lot of uh, bad press over the years. Because of his denying of Jesus and just his impetuous nature. But he's the only one who got out of the boat. We'll look at that. And also just the trials in the ministry that cause us to grow in our faith. As those men were leaving a very notable miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or more, right on the heels of that, they walk out into the boat, into a storm. And these were seasoned fishermen. They knew the waters of Galilee, but they were scared. And they had been rowing in the very early hours of the morning. They were tired. They were wet. They were discouraged, not making much headway. But I love the Bible and the wonderful tapestry that the Gospels provide us because what it does is it gives us different vantage points of the same event. Putting together as a whole, provide a, they, they give us a composite of every event that we look at. And in addition to John chapter 6, this event of John, or Jesus, excuse me, walking on the water is also given to us in two of the other Gospels, Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. I'd include, encourage you actually to read those chapters and put the pieces together, and we're hoping to do that this morning. But the Gospel of Matthew is the only one that gives us the account of Peter briefly walking on the water. And I love that. The only one to walk out on the water. If Jesus called you to walk out on the water, would you? Many of you this morning who are here and perhaps those watching, you have walked out on the water. God has brought you to a place in your life where you've had to step out when there doesn't seem to be any firm footing whatsoever. Perhaps it's a loss of loved ones or perhaps it's an unexpected illness that that cannot, there's no cure for. He brings you out in those places where you had never thought yourself to be in. And you never would have chosen that road for yourself, but you find yourself there. And what do you do? What will you do? <clears throat> what can we do but rest in Christ? There's really nowhere else to go. Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to drugs and all the other things to kind of numb the pain To numb the discouragement, believe me, at the end of that, you're going to come back. You're going to be worse off than when you first started, trust me. Many have tried. Maybe many of you have tried. And you know this from experience. So it's a fool's errand 
to go out and fill our lives with anything other than Jesus Christ. There's no other reason to go anywhere else. He is the one. Didn't Peter say that? Lord, where are we going to go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. They finally got it. That's where we need to get, folks. We need to get to that place where he is the only place. He's the only one that we can go to. He's the only one I love to go to. This miracle takes place on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And remember, just prior to this, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. Mark's Gospel tells us that they traveled from Bethsaida, which is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they traveled over toward Capernaum to the east side. Some believe that there might be a small village, a fishing village, very near to Capernaum called Bethsaida of Galilee. We see that in Mark's Gospel. He mentions that name. And he also says, another Gospel says they were going in that direction. So there's a very good possibility that this Bethsaida of Galilee is just another little fishing village along the coast there, not too far away from Capernaum. And of course, right to the north of that, or excuse me, to the south of that is Gennesaret, which is ultimately where they ended up as they came across those waters of the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in the boat with them after this storm. And Gennesaret is this plain, and when we go to Israel, this is one of the places that we spend five or six days, and we spend, uh, we, we go out from there to all these different places over a period of six days, and you're right there on the shore, and right to the south of Nof Ginnisar, where we stay, it's a beautiful place, Right to the south of that, just next door, literally, you can look out your hotel or your kibbutz and you can see Magdala, the place where Mary of Magdalene was from. And it's all right there. And you're on very good, solid ground there. That this is a, Jesus and his disciples were all over this place. It really is a wonderful, wonderful place. But this is where Jesus went from. He went from the east. That's where the miracle of the 5,000 occurred, over there on the east side. And now he's going to travel with his disciples over to the west side to Capernaum or to Bethsaida, ultimately ending in Gennesaret. Notice in verse 15 in our text this morning, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, that he departed again to the mountain by himself. Isn't it true that man will always crown another man king who, they can, who can satisfy their needs? Whether it's a physical need, whether it's a political need, whatever it is, if you can feed my stomach and you can provide for my future, I'll gladly put a crown on your head and call you king. And most men would have gladly received a king, a crown. Everyone wants to rule, don't they? It's not a safe place to really desire to rule unless God has called you to it. Whatever it is, if God hasn't called you to it, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> but if he's called you to do it, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to grow. Most men would have gladly received a crown. But even though Jesus, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he didn't come to glorify himself. It says in John eight twenty nine. it says... Jesus said, and he who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. That was Jesus' heart's desire, to do the things that the Lord 
the Father had sent him to do. He wanted to glorify him. And see, that's our goal. That's our purpose in life is to honor Jesus, to glorify Jesus. Not to glorify man, not to glorify a movement, but to glorify him. He is the only one that we should glorify. Glorify Jesus. Oh, Lord, help. And you know, because he is the king of all creation, he wasn't going to be king apart from the cross. Notice they were willing to make him a king, and he could have been the king of the Jews. But Jesus had an understanding that his kingdom was not just by the putting of the crown of his head and, and maybe overthrowing the yoke of Rome from them. He could have done that very easily. And the day is coming where it's not just going to be Rome, but it's going to be all the kingdoms of the world. Amen? And I'm looking forward to that day because I don't like what I'm seeing. Never did, actually. But there was no kingdom without the cross. There were no shortcuts. And the devil offered Jesus shortcuts early in his ministry. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4, there were four different temptations. Each of those, te- And the devil, he, he didn't use uh, just anything. He didn't go to guideposts and look at something and say, Jesus, did you know about this? No, he used the word of God. Satan is no fool in that regard. He knows to use scripture. If he's going to deceive the Son of God or think he can deceive it, he better be on the same playing field. But, of course, he never was and never will be. But he uses scripture to corner Jesus, and Jesus always responded with scripture. But in the fourth temptation, notice what happens. It says, again, the devil took him up on a mountain exceedingly high and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you. I will give you, Satan says, the audacity. Who died and made him king? Good question. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The men wanted to make Jesus a king. And even the devil says, There's a shorter, there's an easier way for this, Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross. I know you don't look, you're not looking forward to being separated from the Father for a time. I know you're not looking forward to the torture and the things that you're going to go through. I know you're not going to look forward to people spitting on you and covering your head and hitting you with a rod and putting a crown of, thorn, a crown of thorns on your head and, and, and piercing you with the, with the sword on the side. I know you're not looking forward to any of that, but you know there's a way around this. The Cliff's Notes version of salvation. There's a way around this. Easy, short, easy. Satan would say you don't have to go to the cross to gain a kingdom, but the whole world, as you know, is under the authority and the power of Satan today. Temporarily. And notice Jesus didn't argue with him about this. Even though Psalm 24 says, what does it say? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It is, it's true. The earth belongs to the Lord by means of creation. He created it. But for now, for a period of time, and that period has been for a few thousand years now, Satan has been the ruler of this world. He has been the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians, Paul says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Yes, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. 
You think it's any mistake that the storms and the hurricanes and the tornadoes, God allows him to do these things, and they're all destructive, aren't they? And that's just the M.O. of Satan. Destruction. He's the prince of the power of the air. Not only the air, but the air waves. <laughs> he controls the media. Anybody notice that lately? He's got them all in his hand. He's, oh, I got them. What does John's gospel tell us? Jesus speaking, he says, And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe, and I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Yes, Satan, the ruler of this world. It ultimately belongs to Jesus. But for now, the ruler of this world is Satan. But Jesus' kingdom was going to come by way of the cross and not by any other means. No other crown, no other means. And the devil loves to encourage us with this idea, this phrase of the ends justifying the means. That means that do anything you have to to get the, the end result. It doesn't matter the process, just get to the end result. If you've got to lie, cheat, and steal to get to the end, it doesn't matter. Just get to the end. It doesn't matter how you get there, what way, by, by, by crook or by trick or whatever you've got to do. Just do it because the ends justify the means. But we know as Christians that the ends never justify the means. And the devil will always offer shortcuts to encourage you also, to avoid a true walk of faith in Christ Jesus. You know, there is, in, in many fellowships, there's usually, at one point or another in that church's history, some wealthy man or woman who belongs to the church, who, who wants to give a lot of money to the church. And most churches are hurting. And then someone will come along and they'll, who's a millionaire and they'll say, well, I will do this. I will you know, build you know, whatever it is that you need to do and I'll write it off of my taxes and I'll give you this, you know, build you a new church if you want. But there's one stipulation. I want to be an elder and I also want my name on that building. I want everyone to see who was responsible for this. Put on the sequin suit and get the spotlight just on him, blind him with his teeth. You know, he's got that, he's got that Pepsodent commercial thing happening. <laughs> it's all about him. And the Lord goes, no, thank you. Keep your money. That's a test for many pastors. It's happened. I know of people that's happened too. It's only a test. There's always a shortcut. But at what cost? So Jesus, he's not just a military, he's not a military conqueror, he's not just a meal ticket, even though they wanted to crown him king. Later on, we'll see, next week, we'll see in this gospel, where Jesus would say to these people, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs or the miracle, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. I'm not just a meal ticket, I'm so much more than that. But man, unfortunately, we're fickle, aren't we? We just kind of go where the source is, where, where, wherever we have the needs and the need is met, we go to that place. And everyone cries out when they are in need. But when the need subsides, we're back to our normal, ornery selves, selfish selves. Do you remember 9-11? It crippled us for a, a time, and then we got back to our normal selves again. Many people choose to follow Jesus. They wanted to put a crown on his head. 
But what Jesus are you following? What are your reasons for following Jesus? That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.